The scarcity mindset is the belief that you're just never going to have enough, mm-hmm. whether it's money or food, uh, w- whatever it is. It's this idea that your actions will never take you to the results that you desire. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the scarcity mindset. Uh, What is it? Is this something that you're battling with? Is this something that we need to be concerned about? Because it is one of those things that can creep in. Before you know it, it can have some significant impact in the way you think about not just money, but really other issues in life. So David, let's start with what is a scarcity mindset? Yeah, Leo. Well, the scarcity mindset is the belief that you're just never going to have enough, mm-hmm. whether it's money or food, uh, w- whatever it is. It's this idea that your actions will never take you to the results that you desire. It's a place of being stuck and it really stems from a, a wound or a, a place of lack in your life. Uh, it, it's this idea that we're all fixed where we are today, that we can't grow, we can't increase, and that if I increase, that maybe I'm taking from someone else. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing. It's not that there's right. just not enough. Really, if you can think of it this way, if I could provide a quick analogy, it would be like having a pie. Yeah. The whole world is a pie. And there's so many people in the world, and as we distribute what's available in the world, there's only so much, right? There's only so much air, and there's only so much land, there's only so much wealth. And as I take a portion for myself, that removes it from somebody else, mm-hmm. so therefore, it creates a scarcity mindset. There's only so much, and as more and more is being consumed, there's less left over for everyone else. And this really plays out in multiple facets in, in, our, in our cultures and in our world. Because let's just talk about money. This is a show about finances. Right. So let's talk about money and wealth. How does that play out in money and wealth? How does the scarcity mindset impact us as we think about what's available to us as far as money and wealth is concerned? Yeah, well, we look at the world and we think that if somebody else has something, it means that I don't have it. It means that they have, not that they own it and I don't, but that they have taken it from me or that Mm -hmm. they've taken advantage of something. And in some way, because someone else has something, I have less. Right. And and that's not necessarily true because we all have the ability to go out and to create and to produce. And mm. just because somebody else has created and produced doesn't mean that I can't. Doesn't mean they've taken something fundamentally away from me to increase and grow. The world is moldable. There is an abundance of opportunities and it's two different mindsets. The scarcity mindset where I'm going to hold on to everything that I have and I'm going to kind of scratch and claw and then I'm never going to release. I'm never going to give. I'm never going to go above and beyond. I'm going to be afraid. So I'm always going to spend the absolute minimum Mm. on everything. Uh, I'm never going to look at quality. Uh, I'm always going to look at what's cheapest, what's easiest. And I think that's interesting. There's this really great thought process out there that you can have something as cheap or as good, Mm -hmm. or you can have it fast. And you can typically choose two out of the three. You could get something that's good, and you can get it quickly, but that won't be cheap. You're going to have to probably pay a little more. Or you could buy something that's cheap, and you could get it fast, 
but you're probably not going to have good quality. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, and you could combine good and cheap. You could go into the world, find something that's really high quality, look for a really good discount, but you're probably not going to get it today. You're going to have to do research. You're going to have to wait for the sale. You're going to have to do a bunch of different things. So it's, it's either good and cheap or it's fast and good or, you know, fast and cheap, but you're not going to get all three typically. Mm-hmm. But the scarcity mindset just lives in that cheap bubble. Yeah. I will only do it if it's cheap. Uh, I won't look for good and better and best and learn to grow and pursue and chase. And and what ends up happening is a lot of times you end up with something that's not really a good value because you've gone with the cheapest option. Mm-hmm. And it's not really going to bring you the most fulfillment over time either because you've gone with what's cheap. Yeah. And the downside to a scarcity mindset is that it really creates shackles for you. You get into this belief that there's only so much available. So right at the onset, it stops any creativity. It stops any drive. Because honestly, you can say, well, if there's only so much left and everybody's already attempted to do that, there's no way that I can be successful. And even if I was successful, that means that I would have to take it from someone else, right? So there's this misunderstanding that anytime you succeed, it means somebody else has to lose. Mm -hmm. That when there's a winner, there has to be a loser. Mm. And when it comes to money and wealth, that's not true because we know that wealth is created. Now, the raw materials are available to everyone, and there may be limitation to that. But ultimately, we find newer and newer ways to create things out of things that we never used before. Mm-hmm. If you think about plastics and silicon and so many different types of products that over the years have been developed and now are being used primarily for electronics and so many other things... Those things weren't available in you know in the 1800s. No, but they were available, but nobody knew that they were right because be somebody's for those creativity added to the production. Exactly. And it wasn't that one person just invented silicone. It, it started with one person inventing, uh, you know, the initial draft of something. And so it, you you have people working together. Eight or eight to probably twenty different people had to create different inventions. Mm-hmm. And then one person brought those inventions together and it's ways that you heat things up and it's ways that you mold things and it's chemical compounds. Right. Like one person invented this chemical compound, another person invented this chemical compound. All of a sudden, a third person says, oh, we can combine these two and we can heat it in just this right way. And then you have the machinery. Somebody's got to build the machinery. Right. So it's a lot of people working together to produce something. And we have things now that, that weren't available 100 years ago. And we all have access to it. We can Mm -hmm. all benefit from that increase. There may be somebody who made a million dollars from inventing, you know, plastics and silicone or being a factory that sold it. But I'm not mad at that person because then I can use the plastic that they created to help me in my business and Mm -hmm. to help me in what I'm doing today. I use plastic all the time for my daily life. I'm not mad at the person who who now is a millionaire based on their creativity and production. I'm actually thinking, great, now I can use this as I go about my business. I think the problem that I have with it is that when it's usually addressed as it relates to money, is that there's only so much and then a percentage of people have it and the rest of us don't. And Mm. there's no doubt there's an inequality when it comes to wealth in the world. There are some people that have more, some that have less. But it doesn't mean that what's available today will always be the case. Yeah. It doesn't mean that if that person has 10% of the wealth, then the rest of the world has to make do with a 90. No, because we can continue to create wealth 
Just the other day, I was doing some research and I looked at millionaires and how many more millionaires have been added in the last just 20 years. Like, and, and then billionaires, how many have been added in the last 10 to 20 years as well? And that was not the case. If you look back at the first billionaire, uh, it was probably either Rockefeller or Carnegie or Henry Ford. And, you know, if you took it in today's dollars, those were the first titans of industry, so to speak. But since then, now you've got dozens and dozens, hundreds of people that have attained that level of wealth. But it didn't come just from that what was available 100 years ago. It's been created and it continues to be recreated. So I think that's the thing that we wanted to address today is that this scarcity mindset is misinformation to a large degree because there is no limit to a lot of the things that we can do mm-hmm. and new things will be created and there's ways that we'll figure out in the future. Different materials today that we're not using or not using to to the utmost uh, capability of those materials will be discovered and people will figure out how to do certain things. If you look at just a, like a microchip, something that wasn't even available 70, 80 years ago, and now it's in everything, right? I mean, if you, our phones, and, and, and they're so minute and so small that you need a magnifying glass just to be able to see uh, the, the individual components. Well, all of that had to be created, right? And that has caused increase in wealth. That has caused increase in, in people's uh, even lifestyles and ability to have more comfort heating in your homes and cooling in your home and all the things that we enjoy. None of those things were available uh, a long time ago, but then today they are. So as we talk about the scarcity mindset, the reason we wanted to bring it up and the reason we wanted to talk about it is because of how it affects us as we think about and manage money. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we see in society today in our culture is this disgruntled attitude about the one percenters. There's a one percenters that have you know 44% of the world wealth and then 56% of people have $10,000 or less. Then there's the rest that are somewhere in the middle. But the idea that this 1% is hoarding the 40, you know, right. 44% and it's not available to anybody else, it's a bit misleading yeah. because you know, let's just take the three top people that we know are wealthy in the United States. We have Jeff Bezos, who has Amazon. We have Warren Buffett, who is an mm-hmm. investor and has... Uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire, yeah, thank you. And then the third one is Elon Musk, right? He has mm-hmm. several companies. So each one of these guys are worth billions of dollars, and mm-hmm. their wealth continues to increase. But when we hear about them, we get this sense from the media that these guys have a bunch of money. They're somewhere in their basement counting their money all the time, and, and they're just getting richer and richer and richer. Right. And they're hoarding it. But if you really look at this, the reality is that all of their wealth is in their companies, Right. I mean, all these guys more probably have a salary. More than 90%. I mean, it could be like 98% most right. likely, but right. more than 90% of their wealth is invested in the company. Yep. It's not in their home. It's not yeah, in their They don't bank have account. an island somewhere where they no. just go you know, live in the island and, and sell everything and then go retire and do nothing. All of that wealth is being used every day in the businesses that they've started. Right. Yeah, when I say it's in the company... they own a $1 million factory. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, they own the factory. They could sell it for a million dollars. But then there would be no more factory. Then there'd be no more factory. So (laughs) so all of their money, they have invested that million dollars into the factory. And if you look at something like, I'm, I'm making stuff up here, but with Amazon and Jeff Bezos hundreds of factories mm-hmm. and and warehouses, warehouses right yeah. and and production places and then hundreds of vehicles on the road and people that deliver and thousands and thousands of jobs over a million jobs mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. Amazon over yep. a million that's Crazy. unbelievable yeah, so really. 
So the money is not in his personal bank account at home. The money is inside the building. It's inside the car. He has bought the car so that somebody else can drive products to somebody else's house to make a delivery. Mm -hmm. He's paying the individual to make the delivery. He's paying for the air conditioning in the factory to take care of the employee who's driving the company-owned car, who has a safety service officer there on site keeping people safe, making sure that all the government OSHA standards are followed. I mean, all of this is being funded by his quote unquote personal wealth that he owns. Mm-hmm. I, when I was looking at this and I was going through the media headlines, you know, so and so owns this much, so and so owns this much, so and so owns this much. Yep. I just thought, what if you changed one word? What if you changed it from owns to manages? Mm. Okay. What if Jeff Bezos manages billions of dollars? Yep. Now, yeah, there's truth that he owns it, but really he's managing it. He's not sitting on it. It doesn't say he spends billions of dollars. Right, he owns or manages. He manages this. And who is more qualified to manage that billions of dollars Mm -hmm. than the guy who started, I don't know exactly his origin story, but my understanding is that he you know was selling books out of his garage type of deal mm-hmm. he started in his garage yep. started selling books yep. right in the 90s he's he's one of the first dot com folks that built a website and said oh you know instead of buying books in a bookstore let's sell them online and that's kind of how Amazon got started and, and made mistakes and learned as he made oh, mistakes yeah. and hired somebody and, you know, was winning and was losing and, you know, learned how the internet works and learned how search engine optimization works and learned how to build algorithms so that when you're searching for Christmas gifts on Black Friday, it's the easiest place to shop. That's yeah. his goal is to make it the easiest. His whole life, his whole goal in life is to use billions of dollars to make your life easier when you go shopping. Mm-hmm. That's his whole his whole goal in life. I mean, I, I don't know him personally, but like that's what he does every day is he yeah. figures out how to deploy, how to manage billions of dollars to the service of David Thompson and Leo Sabo and Jane Doe yeah. and a, and a yeah. million people on this earth. It's crazy. And that benefits obviously him as well, but it's, again, it's a scarcity mindset that tries to make you believe that he is doing it selfishly in order to serve himself and hurt everyone else. Well, I can tell you, when I get to order something today and get it either later today or the next day crazy delivered to my house that's a benefit to me i am not cussing out bezos for doing it i am thankful that he actually did this right and now some people may say there's some unhealthy to that and i would agree there's a little bit of unhealthy to it but that's that's our personal choice so i'm not going to blame him for that but it is a service and honestly he has incentives to serve people because as he serves people well then he is also served. Right. His wealth continued to increase. The reason he's doing what he's doing continues to benefit him. I don't right. know what that is. I don't know the man personally. But ultimately, he is fulfilled in what he's doing because if he wasn't, he'd either probably sell it or go retire, buy yeah. an island, and go away and not do anything. And anymore. he would have stopped at $100 million and he never would have come a billionaire. Right. Like, I mean, if, he, if his goal was just to have the fanciest cars and the biggest island— then he would have bought the island, moved out. If, he, if his goal was to do nothing and be lazy his whole life, well, he, he could, could have done be that doing a long that. Time ago. Right, exactly. Instead, and we're saying him, but not just him, but the, and I don't know how the company's organized, but the president and the CEO and the yep. vice presidents and the managers of the different companies below him, they may increase in wealth, but it's because they have incentive to. Right, right. And, and that incentive is extremely important. If you have a scarcity mindset, hmm. you lose incentive. Yes. 
because you believe that you're stuck. You believe that only the rich can make it. Yeah. And and instead, what the a mindset should be is, I have opportunity. I am uniquely gifted with certain skills, talents, abilities. Where can I creatively go serve people? Eighty percent, eighty percent of millionaires are first generation rich. It is the first generation of their family to get to millionaire status. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is less than twenty percent of people who inherit wealth and grow that wealth. 80% of people, like you said, we have um, thousands and thousands of new millionaires every year. And it's because we have the ability in the US to create companies, Mm -hmm. to to have private property that the government doesn't control, or that we're not required to, as soon as we get something, give it to somebody else. Because think about the other options. You have Bezos, who's um, incentivized Mm-hmm. to serve people really well, yes. highly efficiently. De- his business success depends on it. Right. If he doesn't do a good job, then people stop buying, yeah. stop using the, the service, and then he's in trouble. He loses all of that wealth that he now possesses. Exactly. So yes, he it, has a very good incentive. It used to be seven-day delivery, and then he had an incentive to bring it down to two-day delivery. And mm-hmm. then there's incentive now where you can get same-day delivery. You pay a little more, but he has an incentive to serve people well, to be efficient. If you gave all of those resources, let's say you took all of his billions of dollars and you handed it to the government and told them to manage Amazon mm-hmm. and to make sure that people got their packages the next day if they wanted it, well, two days later if they wanted yeah, it. We you know, know what's going to happen. We already have a good model of that. Yeah, you see it. And and the thing is, it's about incentive. The government, and I say the government, the elected officials don't have the same incentive to serve people. Mm. Uh, now, you could say, oh, but they're they're good people. Their heart is right. We're only going to elect the nicest people, the 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 best people that love people. That's who we're going to elect. And, and that is the goal when you do elections. You want to elect the best people. But the actual incentive, once you're elected... You don't have a financial reward. You don't have an increase to go and serve people well. Uh, you're actually more incentivized to be corrupt because mm-hmm. that's how you get an increase. That's right. uh, you do special deals for your family or for your constituents. So you serve a small group of people to the detriment of another group of people. Exactly. Uh, the incentives are wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when you have the government manage a lot and you take away from an individual who has good incentives and you hand it to an organization that doesn't have the same incentives, that's where you lose a ton of efficiency. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, or there's this idea that you could take all the wealth in the world. And I I believe this, that you could take all the wealth in the world, you could totally redistribute it, and everybody would have the same amount of money, but within five years or 10 years or 20 years, the good managers would take that equal portion of wealth that they got and they would increase it. Uh, they would go build, they'd produce, they'd create. Uh, they would manage well. So I said, let's change from owner to manager. Yep. Right, it's right not that right I own that. this money. I'm managing this money. The good managers in the next 5, 10, 20 years would have again become the wealthy and the poor managers would again become the poor. And so I, what, what do Leo and I want every day? We want to provide education 
so that everyone has the opportunity mm -hmm. to get money right. So it, no matter what you've been entrusted with to manage, no matter where you are today, let's say you're starting at zero. Let's say that you are one of those people who's hoping to be the first generation in your family to make a million dollars. We want to provide you with the tools to get there. We want to give you the four steps to purposeful financial living. We want you uh, to spend on purpose and to save before you spend and to increase your margin and to invest wisely. But that's up to you to do. To take it away from somebody else is a scarcity mindset saying that they have something that I don't have today. Therefore, I have to take it from them. And I think that's the symptom is that you get to such a place of scarcity that instead of looking inward and saying, okay, how can I serve people and increase? You look outward and say, how can I take what somebody else has? Mm -hmm. Because what they got must have come from something that was uh, evil. You know, like they must have earned their wealth in an evil way. Now, I have empathy in my top five strengths. So I feel pain and I feel bad for people that are struggling and that don't have wealth. I like, I feel that. And that's why we created getting money right is we want to help all people. We want to lift all tides. Right. But what I don't want to do is have a scarcity mentality that tells me I have to take away from somebody else in order for me to increase because that's not healthy for me. I may harm that person, but you know who I'm really harming long-term is myself because I've taught myself that the only way I can get ahead is to take from someone else. That is not a good place to be. That is not a recipe for long-term winning at life. And so that's why we want to deal with an, a scarcity mindset. Yeah, I so agree with that. The scarcity mindset is really something that, unfortunately, we don't see it as something that damages us, but actually that's exactly what it does. It limits our beliefs. It limits our creativity. It limits our ability to, to really make the best both financial choice and also the best choice for us as far as how we shape our life, the decisions we make. You know, I'm always looking to be frugal and to be a good manager of the resources that I have. I don't have endless amount of resources. None of us do. So in knowing that I only have so much, anytime I go to buy something, I'm always looking and saying, how can I get the best value for the least amount of money? Now, there's a problem there because it's really hard to do that. It's hard to find something that's of real value, something that's real quality, while at the same time paying little amounts of money for it. Because quality demands more work, it demands more uh, skill, and whoever's going to produce that, if they're going to create it at a, at a quality level that I want, it's going to cost them more money to build it. So they're going to charge more money for it. Think of a, a, just a regular tool. Maybe it's a drill, maybe it's a saw. In order to build a good saw that's going to last 20, 30, 40 years, kind of yeah. the craftsman model, right? You have to put good electronic components in it. You have to put good bearings. Everything you put in it has to be able to last those 30, 40 years. So I have to be willing to pay more for something that's going to last me more. When I have a scarcity mindset, I'm thinking, how can I get the cheapest for the, for the best value? And the problem is, just as David said earlier, you can't get all three of those. You can't get it fast, you can't get a good quality, and you can't get it cheap at the same time. So... It's important that you understand this, this scarcity mindset is a wrong belief that will lead you to make decisions that are actually detrimental to you because you're going to make decisions that are going to cost you money and time in the end. Yeah. Instead of getting the good stuff that's going to last you, you're going to buy the cheap stuff, and later on you're going to deal with the frustration you have of the cheap stuff, something you have to replace again shortly after you already bought it. And so in the end, it actually costs you more. So this is just on making financial decisions. 
but even more so as you think about the way you live your life, the happiness that you want. When you have a scarcity mindset, it, you're always afraid. Somebody's going to take what I have. So even when you do acquire wealth, you hold on to it in a selfish, in an unhealthy way to your own detriment. Right. To your own detriment. And I think that's why a scarcity mindset is such a damaging thing to us. So we have to be aware of it. So as we're talking about it, our desire for you is to really think about when I make decisions, do I have a hopeful, purposeful way of looking at it? Or is it something that I'm, I'm scared to make the decision because I don't want to get the wrong thing. I don't right. want to spend too much money. You have to be okay with spending money on quality things and just realize your motivation behind your decisions because they may reveal that there's a scarcity mindset and they may actually bleed off into other areas of your life. Yeah. And Leo and I are both fairly frugal people. Uh, and so we do typically look for things that are inexpensive, mm -hmm. but we also look for good quality which means that it sometimes takes longer for us to find what we're looking for. Right. But when you've done that for a long time, when you've, when you've been on the frugal side and all of a sudden you begin to have a little bit more margin to invest, mm -hmm. then you have to balance out th your time and yeah. you have to say, oh, maybe it's worth it for me to make this decision faster yeah. and to pay a little more yep. to still get that good quality. Uh, but I'm going to have to pay more if I want the good quality it like, and, and so the good, cheap, fast, I think it's a great framework for saying, okay, if I've always lived in cheap and fast and I got low quality, well then maybe it's time to switch to cheap and good, but it's a little bit slower. So that's why we always talk about being content with what you have. And we talk about delayed gratification, but then over time, your time may be more valuable. And so you switch to good and fast, and it's a little bit more expensive, yep. Yep. but it's fulfilling, it's working, it's taking care of your family, and it's opened up the ability for you to pursue other things. You've got to figure out where you are in every every individual decision. This isn't easy. This is, this is just general framework. But it's helpful to see that through the lens and say, okay, am I viewing this decision through a scarcity mentality? where I have to get the cheapest and I'm only going to do cheap. It's a, it's a tough place to live your whole life there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's probably not going to be healthy for you long-term if you're stuck there forever. Yeah. So let me share a couple of things that you might consider as you're trying to figure out, do I deal with this? Is this something that's a part of uh, my process as I make decisions? One, if you're taking too much time to do research, we're talking hours and hours and hours or months of research just to buy something that's like $50. Uh, that's probably overkill. You might have a scarcity mindset. If you're consistently looking at spending the least amount possible while also demanding the best quality, it's unrealistic. You have a mindset that says, I don't want to pay for something quality. I want to get it the cheapest, lowest possible. And sometimes that comes across when you're trying to make a deal with somebody. Yeah. Let's say you go to Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and you find something that you know is well below the market value meaning somebody's selling it because they don't longer want it, whatever, and it's in good shape, but yet you want it like at a quarter of the price. Well, that's unreasonable. And the person knows it's unreasonable and they're not gonna sell it to you that way. Don't be mad about that. Mm -mm. Consider the fact that you are getting a good deal and you're getting good quality product and be okay with paying for it. But if mm -hmm. you're seeing these kind of things where you're constantly demanding something that's unrealistic or just taking a long time to make a decision on spending money, it may be that maybe there's an unhealthy perspective on money and maybe that scarcity mindset has creeped in and you're thinking, 
you know, I, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose. There's no guarantees. You've got to be freed up to really enjoy your life. And that means that you spend the money you need to spend, make the decision in the shortest amount of time as possible. And I really struggle with this because like David said, we, we always want to get a good deal. We want to be good stewards. But there are some things that will point to the fact that maybe this thing's creeping in and, and keep an eye on it. Yeah, I love that. Well, uh, Leo and I have been working on something. Uh, it is before before our shows and after our shows, we've been building and creating and tweaking, and we want to introduce it to you uh, over the next couple months. And it's always been our desire that we would provide really practical ways mm-hmm. to serve our listeners. Uh, and so we introduced the four steps to purposeful living. Right. It was a very practical four-step process that you can learn, memorize, and begin to say, okay, how am I, you know, spending on purpose? How am I saving before I spend? Now you can go through the four and begin to address each one of those. And you can look at the very practical steps along with that. So this has always been our desire. And we want to today provide an even deeper, uh, more easy to access hands-on tool and resource to you to implement those four steps mm-hmm. and for you to have a practical tool. Of course, our first step is to spend on purpose, which is basically the foundation of achieving success. Mm -hmm. And so if you do step one, then you're going to be set for success. If you don't do step one, if you don't spend on purpose, everything else is going to be wonky. And uh, overall, the heart here is that in 2021, we want to offer an online course to help people build a good foundation for managing their money. So... At the beginning of 2021, we're actually going to pause our podcast creation. Doesn't mean that there won't be any podcasts coming out. They'll just be a little bit less so that we can continue to build this course to serve you well. Mm -hmm. The podcast is not going away. We will continue the podcast, but we're going to pause it at the beginning of 2021 to build this course. We're going to build the course by taking a handful of people through the first draft of the course in February of 2021. So just a few months from now, uh, we're going to select the individuals by the end of the year. And then we're going to have a little assignment for them to do in January before starting the beta course or the first draft course in February. So we would love to have you join the beta of our financial course. All you have to do is fill out a form through the link on leosabo.com. And we'll select a handful of individuals, couples, and families to go through the course. And it'll be hands-on with Leo and I. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're choosing a small group, a little cohort of people to go through the course as we build. We're actually going to make changes to the course as we talk to people. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a first draft, but then we're going to say, hey, what are we learning? What's working? What's not working? What are people asking? So that we can actually create the long-term course in a way that really, really serves people well. Correct. So you can find this link on leosabo.com. You should be able to scroll up if you're on your iPhone listening to this podcast episode. You should scroll up and be able to see the show notes. And in the show notes, there's going to be a link to that form. Uh, You can go to leosabo.com and click on the show notes of the podcast and see a link to the form. You could also message us 
on on our socials. You can message me at David Thompson on Facebook and Instagram. You can message Leo on Leo Sabo at Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can find us, leosabo.com, David at stewardshippastors.com. You can find us. Let us know you're interested to join the course. Uh, Leo, what else would you add? I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well. This is something that we've talked about doing for quite a while, but one of the things that we want to make sure that you guys understand is we've been teaching this combined for many, many years. This is something that we live and breathe. So what you're going to get is a lot of expertise, but what we don't want to do is just create something and then just put it out there and say, here, do this. We want to make sure we're building something that's the most effective journey that you or anyone else in the future can take to make sure that they can get to having a good foundation for managing their money take the fastest route to there so that they can have confidence in managing their money. And we thought the best way to do that is to actually take a small group of people through this beta course so that we can create a course that's going to be the most effective. So we're going to ask that those people that are part of this course would give us a little bit of grace because we're going to walk through this. We're going to give you a lot of one-on-one time to make sure that we're including everything that you guys think needs to be included. Not just what we know are foundational things, but also anything else that you feel will enhance that experience for future attendees. And that's our real desire, is to create something that's going to be very effective for the masses. And so we're going to take our time and build something that's really good. So we do want your help. If you are interested in going through this, there's a couple of things that you should consider. One, if you're married, of course, we would want both of you to be part of it. If you're a single person, great. Uh, We'd love to have you as well. But what we would want you to consider is that there is some homework here. There's going to be some work that you're going to do. We're going to give you instructions, but you're going to have to commit to this process. So please don't sign up unless you look at your calendar and say, I can make this a priority. This is very important because not only will you benefit, but so will everyone else that's part of this. That's right. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that you're as excited about this new course as Leo and I talking about spending on purpose, actually building that foundational plan. And come check out leosabo.com for more resources and tools. Go over to stewardshippastors.com for more resources and tools. And overall, we just hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. These kind of things where you're constantly demanding something that's unrealistic or just taking a long time to make a decision on spending money, it may be that maybe there's an unhealthy perspective on money and maybe that scarcity mindset has creeped in. Mm-hmm.